Please take your Bibles. If you don't have your Bible with you, there should be one in the pew around you. Turn with me to John chapter 18. John chapter 18. We'll be looking this morning, particularly at verse 37, but I'll begin reading this morning from verse 33. Therefore Pilate entered again into the praetorium and summoned Jesus and said to him, Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus answered, Are you saying this on your own initiative, or did others tell you about me? Pilate answered, I am not a Jew, am I? Your own nation and the chief priests delivered you to me. What have you done? Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, then my servants would be fighting so that I would not be handed over to the Jews. But as it is, my kingdom is not of this realm. Therefore Pilate said to him, So, you're a king. Jesus answered, You say correctly that I am a king. For this I have been born, and for this I have come into the world, to testify to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. And Pilate said to him, What is truth? And you may be saying to yourself, We're at the wrong end of the story. But we're not. We're not. There are a number of places in the Gospels where we hear Jesus himself sum up the reasons for his birth, why he came. And so we've spent the previous weeks looking at several instances here in the Gospel of John where Jesus does just that. He tells us why he came into the world. So we've spent some time examining these things in John chapter 38 a few weeks ago. We saw Jesus explain that he had come down from heaven to do the will of his Father. And he said it was the will of his Father that all those whom the Father gave to the Son would be given eternal life. That's one reason Jesus has come. A couple of weeks ago, we looked at John chapter 10 together where Jesus presents himself as the good shepherd. And in verse 10 of that, shepherd, uh, of that chapter, Jesus says that in addition to coming in order to give eternal life, he also came to give abundant life. So there's another reason that Jesus has come. And then last week, we saw Jesus speak of his coming in John chapter 12, in verse 46, where he describes himself as having come into the world as light, so that everyone who believes in him might not remain in darkness. That's another reason. We're going to conclude our study of the reasons for Christ's coming as he 
lays it out here in the Gospel of John this morning. And we come to this passage here in John chapter 18, primarily verse 37, where Jesus provides us with one more reason for his coming as a man into the world. Why did Jesus leave his throne in glory and take on human form? Why did he become one of us? Jesus tells us here, I have been born for this. For this I have come into the world to testify to the truth. We find ourselves this morning, coming to this passage, we find ourselves witness to Jesus' trial before Pontius Pilate. Not exactly your typical Christmas message. I would guess that in most churches this morning, everyone else is looking at the angels' announcement to Joseph, and then to Mary, or they're thinking about the census of Quirinius, who was governor of Syria. They're talking about how there was no room at the inn, and how the cattle are lowing, and little Lord Jesus is making no crying. I never really understood that. No crying he makes. That's a strange way of saying that. But. And that's wrong, by the way, just so you know. Not to sound too much like a Grinch here on Christmas, but I very much doubt that little Lord Jesus didn't cry. Scripture is very clear that when Jesus was an adult, he grew hungry and thirsty and tired. I'm guessing it wasn't different when he was a baby. In fact, I'd argue that it's theologically vital for us to see the infant Jesus expressing himself in the same way that all babies do when they are hungry and they let out that urgent, dependent wail and cry for his mother's attention. Because Jesus was human. Yes, he was fully God and that never changed, but he took on humanity in its fullness. Now, don't get too persnickety about that. When you hear people singing away in the manger, don't stop them and correct them. Yeah. But as I was saying, everyone else is thinking this morning about the shepherds who kept their watch by night and the angelic choirs singing, but not us. No. Ebenezer Harrison has us in the courtroom of Pontius Pilate where the little Lord Jesus is standing trial for his life. Merry Christmas. God bless us, everyone. In my defense... I would point out that right here in John 18, at the climax of the trial, as Pilate is prepared to render his verdict, as the events of that night are now racing toward the cross, Jesus himself is thinking about Christmas. As he faces death, he's thinking about his birth. For this... I have been born, and for this 
I have come into the world. So I don't want to hear any complaints. Jesus was talking about Christmas at his trial. Here's what Jesus knew, and here's what he wants us to know. There is no way to make sense of the nativity without the passion. No way to understand Christmas without the cross. We can't stay at the manger. We have to follow Jesus to the garden and to the courtroom and to Calvary if we are going to understand the manger. So if you were hoping for the warm, nostalgic, sermonic equivalent of a Yule log, I'm afraid you'll be disappointed. And I get that, I do. The older I get, the more easily I am affected by that kind of thing. <clears throat> There's a commercial running quite a bit recently. You may have seen it. There are three older women, and one of them buys some cushions for her two friends. And then they're shown sledding down a hill. And halfway down, they turn into little girls again. And every time I see it, that, that just gets me. But I would ask more of you this morning. I would ask you this morning to join me in pursuing Jesus. I would ask you to join me in pursuing something more than nostalgic Christmas emotion. I would ask you to join me in seeking to penetrate the wondrous mystery of why God should become man in Jesus Christ. And we will do that by listening to the God-man himself tell us why he was born and what he came to do. And as we do that this morning, I want to consider a number of questions which are answered here in John 18 by our Lord himself. First of all, he will answer the question, what is Christmas? Then secondly, he'll answer the question, why did Christmas happen? And finally, he'll answer the question, why does Christmas matter? What is Christmas? Why did Christmas happen? Why does Christmas matter? That's where we're going this morning. The statement that draws our attention this morning is there in verse 37, and it comes in the context, as we've already mentioned, of Jesus' trial before Pontius Pilate. At this point in the trial, Pilate presses our Lord to explain just what kind of king he is. Jesus replies by telling Pilate that his kingdom is not of this world. He's essentially telling Pilate, listen, Caesar doesn't have anything to worry about yet. I'm not after his throne. I've got my own. He was born that first Christmas not to take Caesar's throne, but to inaugurate a kingdom, he says, that is, divine, uh, that, that is defined and characterized by truth. For this I have been born, and for this I have come into the world to testify to the truth. 
And so here we have Jesus' answer to our first question, what is Christmas? That is to say, in verse 37, Jesus tells us what was really going on 33 years before he stood before Pilate. He tells us what was going on in that little town of Bethlehem when his parents found no room at the inn. And at the risk of stating the obvious, you'll notice that he starts by telling us, I was born. In some ways, that's a self-evident statement, but don't miss how he amplifies the point. Not only was he born, but he came into the world. Which means, as we've stated previously throughout our studies of these passages, he was somewhere else before he came here. That's not something that any of us can say. But Jesus says, I came into the world. I was somewhere else, now I'm here. That he was born at all reminds us of the familiar details of the Christmas story. His mother Mary conceived, albeit miraculously, while still a virgin. But the baby in her womb grew and developed just as we do. When 40 weeks were completed, Jesus was born the same way other babies are born. Jesus had an umbilical cord. Jesus had to be fed and nursed. And yes, Jesus cried. There was a time when Jesus couldn't walk and had to be carried. His brain developed His ability to make sense of the world grew in a manner commensurate with his age. And so he learned to crawl and then stand and then take his first steps. And in that process, he fell over. He bumped into things. He learned how to speak and how to read and how to write. He started with milk and he moved on to whatever the first equivalent, the first century equivalent of baby food was. I don't think Gerber's goes back quite that far. And then he moved on to solid food. Jesus was born. Jesus is human. Thoroughly, comprehensively, perfectly human. I've been born, Jesus said. But amazingly, his birth was not his absolute beginning. The person of Christ existed before becoming human. And so he says, I came into the world. John, the author of this gospel, used that phrase back in the first chapter, in his prologue, as he speaks about Christ's existence. The Word was with God, and then He came and dwelt among us. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him. There's not anything made that was made without Him. In Him was life, and life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness. The darkness did not overcome it. 
the true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world, John says. The Word who is God, the Word who made all things, the Word in whom is light and life came into the world, and now John says, Jesus rather says to Pilate, I have come into the world. And you see the claim he is making. As touching his humanity, we have to say that he had a beginning. He was conceived in the virgin's womb. There was a moment of conception. Not a normal conception, certainly, but a moment of conception. Then there was a birth. Ten fingers and ten toes and laid in a manger and cradled in his mother's arms. But as touching his deity, he was the Word who was with God and was God. He is God the Son, so his birth was not an absolute beginning. Jesus, the second person of the Godhead, always was. His birth, rather, saw his coming into the world in a new way in order to identify with those he had come to save. And so he became one of us in every way except for sin. Which means Jesus, as opposed to all of us, was truly and fully human in a way we haven't experienced yet. In a way which no human being has experienced since Adam. But it is a way that we will experience again in the redemption of all things, in the new heavens and the new earth. No wonder the skies split and angels appeared to sing their gloria on the night of his birth. This is no ordinary birth. This had never happened again and would never happen again. It's no wonder the shepherds worshipped him. It's no wonder that sometime later the wise men came to give him gifts. It's no wonder the aged Simeon, when he took the child in his arms, exulted and said, you're letting your servant depart in peace according to your word because my eyes have now seen your salvation. The one who was born was the one through whom all things had been made and without whom not anything made that has been made. Mary's child there, nursing at her breast, was Mary's God as well. Very God of very God. Begotten, not created. O oh, come, let us adore Him. One more quick thing about what Christmas is from our text. You'll notice twice over Jesus says, for this. Or your translation may have, for this purpose, which is what that means. For this purpose I was born. For this purpose I came into the world. We didn't come into the world with a purpose. We just came. Hi. 
I'm here. Jesus had a purpose in his birth. Not only is Christmas the birth of the God-man, but it was therefore a purposeful birth. It was a birth intended to advance the eternal decree and purpose of God in regard to what he wanted to do in this world, which was to accomplish redemption. So that you and I could be reconciled to him and become his people. That's why Jesus came into the world. And brothers and sisters, this is something that we really need to focus on and keep in mind every time Christmas rolls around. Because it's so easy to forget that. It's easy to keep Jesus there in the manger in Bethlehem. And to miss the fact that He came with a purpose. And the purpose of Bethlehem was Calvary. We're not to imagine that Jesus was born and then he, as He grew like the rest of us, He just sort of figured out what He wanted to do in life. Right? Jesus never had any kind of existential crisis trying to figure out who He was. He knew. He grew into that knowledge most certainly, but He knew. And he's communicating that to Pilate. There was never any question about what his purpose was. He didn't figure it out on the run. He didn't cobble it together. He didn't chart his own course. He was born and came into the world for a purpose, and his birth was itself a part of that purpose. He is the long-promised one. We read about the first promise of His coming all the way back in Genesis chapter 3. Our parents sinned. And they threw the world into chaos. They themselves died and brought death into the world. And God in the midst of that catastrophe, in the midst of that tragedy, God comes and says there will be a seed. And that seed is going to come and that seed is going to crush the head of the serpent who brought all of this on. There's the first promise of Jesus coming. He is the seed of David who would reign on his father's throne forever. He is the seed of Abraham in whom all the nations of the earth would be blessed. He is the Lamb of God who would come to take away the sin of the world. He is a prophet like Moses. He is the wonderful counselor, the mighty God, the everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace, the Lion of the tribe of Judah, the Root of Jesse, the One the Father sent forth in the fullness of time, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law. Jesus didn't become 
the Messiah as he matured and began to display some aptitude for the job. This isn't something he applied for. Didn't somehow realize, you know, I think I'd be a good fit for this position. That never crossed his mind. This was rather what he was born to be and born to do. All the ages had been waiting for him. All the hope of Israel focused upon him. All the need of every lost human being, which includes everyone, is met in him. It's why he came. So, what is Christmas? That's Christmas. Second question Jesus answers. Why did Christmas happen? Again, verse 37, For this purpose I was born, for this purpose I came into the world. Why? To bear witness, to testify to the truth. Jesus didn't come to fulfill the purpose and keep it to himself. He came to testify about why he had come. So that we would know. So that we would benefit from it by being able to give ourselves to this one who has come into the world. Two things to notice here very quickly. First of all, there is this witness language, this testifying language that Jesus uses. I came to testify to the truth, he says. Don't you find it striking that he should use this kind of legal language here in his trial with Pilate? Herman Ritterboss, one of the great commentators on the Gospel of John and his remarks on this verse, makes a very astute observation. He says this, Jesus, standing before the judgment seat of Pilate, is using the language of the courtroom, but not as the accused. He is testifying on his own behalf. He is speaking, rather, as one who in the suit that God brings against the world has come to testify against the rule of the lie and for the truth. Jesus has reversed the roles in his trial with his answer to Pilate's question. He makes no attempt to refute the charge brought against him or to persuade Pilate that he is not a public danger. Instead, he is, in this trial, posing the questions that will really bring out the truth. Jesus does this all the time. He's constantly turning the tables on the people who come to, to, to oppose him. And here before Pilate, ostensibly, from if you're just looking at what's going on, well, Jesus is the one on trial. He's the defendant. But in what Jesus says here, he doesn't accept that role. He becomes the prosecutor. And he's going to prosecute Pilate. And he's going to prosecute the world. And the amazing thing is, God doesn't have some kind of constitutional system of checks and balances. 
Because Jesus, who is now the prosecutor, will also be the judge. He will play all of those roles. He's a witness here, but not in his own defense. Jesus stands before Pilate as a witness for the prosecution in God's lawsuit against all who have exchanged the truth of God for a lie and suppressed the truth in unrighteousness. Christmas happened so that sin and error and all of the spiritual deception that blinds the eyes of an unbelieving world might be challenged and unmasked and exposed. Christmas happened so that no one could stand before God on the last day and say, I just didn't know any better. We can't say to God, you didn't pursue us. You never reached out to us. You left us in the dark groping for answers of our own. That won't stand. God would respond if we tried that to say, I, I, I came myself to bear witness to the truth. What more do you want? That's why He was born. That's why He came into the world. There will be no excusing one's rejection of Jesus. There will be no defense on the final day. Given all that, the other thing we need to unpack here a little bit is, that, is what Jesus means by the truth. He came to bear witness, to testify to the truth. Certainly he means more than coming to set the record straight in contrast to our many errors. He means more than that he came to give us some additional facts about God which we wouldn't have access to otherwise. He did all of that, certainly, to be sure, but in John's Gospel in particular, when Jesus talks about the truth, he has something much more expansive in mind than simply correct notions and accurate conclusions. Jesus, as John puts it in his prologue, himself is full of grace and truth. Jesus says of himself in John chapter 14, I am the way and the truth and the life. I am the true bread, he says. I am the true vine. I am the true light. Throughout Jesus' ministry, he was calling people to recognize truth is found in him. In Jesus, truth has stepped into history, into a world of confusion and ignorance and error. He is the truth. And that has enormous implications, doesn't it? You don't get it yet. You don't understand why that first Christmas happened if all you've got are historical facts about one individual's birth two millennia ago. You need that. You need the facts, but you need more than that. The first Christmas happened so that the truth himself might step into the scene of human history. And we can only begin to grasp the meaning of that, his testimony, when we begin to know him personally for ourselves. There's a difference between knowing about someone and knowing someone. And the truth came into the world so that we might know Him. 
because he is the truth. And that brings us to the third question of this passage. We've seen what Christmas is. It's the birth of the Son of Mary, the long-promised Messiah, and the coming into the world of the Lord of glory himself. It happened so that he might bear testimony to himself as the truth. And now finally, with all of that in place, we're ready to think about the third question I've set before us. Why does Christmas matter? Look again at verse 37. For this purpose I have been born. For this purpose I have come into the world to testify to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. Now, Pilate, for his part, is entirely unimpressed with Jesus' words here. And so he responds, and we need to hear the sneer in his voice, what is truth? It's dismissive, it's unbelieving. It's as if Pilate doesn't even think there could possibly be an answer to the question. This is not the question of a seeker trying to find out that which he does not yet know. He's not pleading for truth. It's, if he had been, he would have undoubtedly received it from the one standing before him. But these aren't sincere words. These are the words of a cynic who doesn't believe that it is possible to know truth, perhaps doesn't believe in truth at all. He believes in political expediency. That comes out very clearly in what Pilate does and how he conducts himself in regard to the Lord Jesus. He believes in power and influence. He cares nothing for truth. But then, do you see how in Jesus' words and in Pilate's response, we actually have set before us two alternatives on the one hand, there is an invitation. All who are of the truth, right? everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. And then on the other, we have the contempt of one who already thinks he has everything. Power and money and influence and fame. What need do we have of the truth? But as you read through John's account here, isn't it clear that it's not really Jesus who is on trial after all? It's Pilate himself. And in this courtroom, Pilate is exposed as the guilty one. Now as you survey your life over this past year, it's entirely possible that you might feel satisfied. It's a pretty good year. I have a happy home, I have a nice house, I have a good job, I have money in the bank, food on the table, clothes on my back, I am loved, I am respected, I am valued. What need have I for Jesus? Many think that way. Like Pilate before you, you may dismiss the one who was born to bear witness of the truth. You won't listen to him. When Jesus says, all who are of the truth, listen to my voice, the word listen there doesn't just mean hearing sound waves. 
It means believing. It means embracing what you hear. The one who is the truth, the real one, the one who is the answer that our hearts are hardwired to seek. This one invites us to turn from the lie of our independence and pretended self-sufficiency to Him. His kingdom is a kingdom of truth. It's comprised only of those who have received the truth. Pilate, for all his power and all his position, knows nothing of the truth. He was living in spiritual darkness and spiritual blindness. But Christmas happened. Christ has come into the world and He has done it for a purpose, to testify to the truth. And all who are of the truth listen to His voice. They hear it. They embrace it. This is exactly what we saw John say in John chapter 10. I'm going to go and I'm going to call my sheep and they are going to hear my voice and they are going to follow me. You see why Christmas matters. Oh my. It's not really about family or presents or food or nostalgia. As lovely as all of those things are. Those are all good things. We all look forward to those things. We all enjoy those things. But Christmas matters because of Christ. The truth come into the world, shining light into the darkness to give us the light of life. And until you listen to His voice, until you come to Christ in repentance and faith, until you entrust yourself entirely to Him, you still walk in darkness. But if you will come, if you will hear His voice, if you will embrace the truth, He promises to give you the light of life, and that is the greatest of Christmas gifts. The light of life. To know the truth. Because the truth, my friends, will set you free. And the truth is Jesus. Father, we thank You and we rejoice in this that the truth has come into the world. And through the truth, Father, salvation has come into the world. And that anyone and everyone who embraces that truth will be embraced. Oh, Father, we pray that if there are those here today who have never embraced the truth, who have never placed their trust in Jesus Christ, who have never repented of their sin and given themselves over to Him. Father, may Your Spirit move within them today. That for every day into the future, they might look back upon Christmas Eve 2023 and say, that's the day that I embrace the truth. That's the day that child born in the manger 
found me and made me his own. Father, accomplish these things we ask. In the name of Jesus, amen.